Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 30. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today is my last episode of Sexual Assault Awareness Month 2016, the month of April. And as promised, this is my part two discussion of sexual assault. Since it's Sexual Assault Awareness Month, in my previous episode on this subject, I talked about sexual assault that occurs when both people are peers, older teens, or adults. And for part two, I said I was going to talk about childhood sexual abuse. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about what is childhood sexual abuse, how commonly does it occur, who can it happen to, are there any groups that are at higher risk than others, what are the effects of childhood sexual abuse, how to prevent childhood sexual abuse, how to get help if you suspect that a child has been abused, and how you can get help if you're an adult who experienced sexual abuse in childhood. So I'm getting this information from websites that I'll reference so that you can go there and find more if you want the information for yourself or someone you care about. So we'll start by defining child sexual abuse. Child sexual abuse is a form of child abuse, including sexual activity with a minor. Children cannot consent to any form of sexual activity. So even if a child does not say no or resist, they're not consenting because they're a child. Child sexual abuse is not always physical contact between the offender and the child. There are many different forms it can take. It can include obscene phone calls, text messages, 
or other digital or online interaction, fondling, exhibitionism or exposing oneself to a minor, masturbating in the presence of a minor or forcing the child to masturbate, intercourse, any type of sex with a minor, vaginal, oral, or anal, producing, owning, or sharing pornographic images or or movies of children, sex trafficking, so, for example, forcing a child to be a prostitute, and any other sexual conduct that is harmful to a child's mental, emotional, or physical welfare. This comes from the RAIN website. RAIN is the Rape Abuse Incest National Network, and their website is rainn.org. So the people who commit child sexual abuse, the perpetrators, are usually someone that is known to the child or family. In at least 93% of cases where a victim is under the age of 18, they know the person who does it to them. This does not have to be an adult harming the child. It can be anyone with a relationship to the child, including an older sibling or playmate, other family member, teacher, coach, caregiver, babysitter, another child's parent. And child sexual abuse is an adult exploiting a child's vulnerability. And it's important to recognize that the sexual orientation, meaning whether the offender is heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, transsexual, transgender, has nothing to do with them being a child abuser. There's no more likelihood that any sexual orientation will be likely to sexually abuse a child. In other words, a man who sexually abuses a boy is not doing so because he is gay. He's doing so because he's a child sexual abuse perpetrator. So I want to talk about the statistics on child sexual abuse because I think a lot of us still believe that it's not that common yet. um, You know, I know so many people who've been sexually abused in childhood. And um, of course, that's a, a focus area in my work. So in my In my work, I know many people who've been sexually abused, but in my personal life, I knew many people as well. It's far more common than most people realize. And because sexual childhood sexual abuse is frequently never reported to the police or authorities, the statistics we have are pretty much recognized to underrepresent the actual incidents of how commonly sexual childhood sexual abuse occurs. David Finkelhor has done a lot of research on victimization, and he's the director of the Crimes Against Children Research Center. He has released studies stating that one in five girls and one in 20 boys experience childhood sexual abuse. Um, 20% of adult females and 5 to 10% of adult males say that they can recall a sexual assault or sexual abuse that occurred during their childhood. And 
A 2003 National Institute of Justice report said that three out of four adolescents who have been sexually assaulted were victimized by someone they knew well. An added effect of childhood sexual abuse is that when a child has been sexually abused, they may become more likely to be victimized in the future. One study conducted in 1986, which was followed up by studies in 2000, 2002, and 2005, found that 63% of women who had suffered sexual abuse by a family member also reported a rape or attempted rape after they were 14 or older. Um, Children who had an experience of rape or attempted rape in their adolescent years were 13 times more likely to experience rape or attempted rape in their first year of college. Children who don't live with both parents, as well as children living in homes marked by Parental discord, divorce, or domestic violence have a higher risk of being sexually abused. Compared to those with no history of sexual abuse, young males who were sexually abused were five times more likely to cause teen pregnancy, three times more likely to have multiple sexual partners, and two times more likely to have unprotected sex, according to a study published in the Journal of Adolescent Health. Everybody wants to know who are the people that do this. Offenders are most likely male, ranging from adolescents to the elderly, but some perpetrators are female. It's estimated that women are the abusers in about 14% of cases in which boys are the victims and 6% of cases involving female victims. Approximately one-third of offenders are juveniles. 40 to 80% of juvenile sex offenders have themselves been victims of sexual abuse. These stats came from the National Center for Victims of Crime, which is victimsofcrime.org. I'll have a link in the show notes. It's important to recognize that child sexual abuse offenders tend to use a grooming process to gradually draw a victim into a sexual relationship and maintain that relationship in secrecy. And part of the grooming process is that they may fill roles within the victim's family that make the offender trusted and valued, making it extremely difficult for the child to report what's happening to the family because the family trusts that person. Grooming behaviors can include special attention, outings and gifts, isolating the child from others, filling the child's unmet needs filling needs and roles within the family, treating the child as if he or she is older, gradually crossing physical boundaries and becoming increasingly intimate or sexual, use of secrecy, blame, and threats to maintain control. And some of the factors that perpetrators have said they look for, specifically these characteristics in children, they choose to target for abuse. They report that they look for passive, quiet, troubled, lonely children from single parent or quote unquote broken homes. Perpetrators frequently seek out children who are particularly trusting, which most children are. They find new ways and work proactively to establish a trusting relationship with the child before abusing them. Frequently, this extends to establishing a trusting relationship with the victim's family, too, making the child feel trapped. 
So this information comes from Darkness to Light. Their website is d2l.org. So what are the effects of child sexual abuse? In childhood, you will see um, some of these effects, and it varies from person to person, but emotional and mental health problems, behavioral problems including physical aggression, oppositional behavior, um, risky behavior, sexual behavior problems, and over-sexualized behavior are very common. Children who have been sexually abused have three times as many sexual behavior problems as children who have not been sexually abused. And victims of child sexual abuse are more likely to be sexually promiscuous. Academic problems are common in children who have been sexually abused. They're more likely to drop out of school. Substance abuse problems beginning in childhood or adolescence are common. Adolescents who were sexually abused were two to three times more likely to have an alcohol use or dependence problem than non-victims. Delinquency and crime stemming often from substance abuse is more prevalent in adolescents with a history of child sexual abuse. Sexually abused children are twice as likely as children who have not been sexually abused to run away from home. They have higher risks of teen pregnancy. And the long-term consequences of childhood sexual abuse can include post-traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse problems, depression, anxiety, suicide attempts, obesity and eating disorders, higher rates of healthcare utilization, increased health complaints, a greater risk for a range of conditions that are non-life-threatening, including fibromyalgia, severe PMS, chronic headaches, irritable bowel syndrome, a wide range of reproductive and sexual health complaints, including excessive bleeding, amenorrhea, which I believe is when your period stops, pain during intercourse, and menstrual irregularity. There's also been a link found to endometriosis. So not that everyone who has endometriosis has been sexually abused, but there was a higher incidence among people who have been sexually abused. Survivors of child sexual abuse have higher risk for more serious conditions like diabetes, cancer, heart problems, stroke, or hypertension. Male sexual abuse survivors have higher rates of HIV infection than non-abused males. The CDC recently estimated the lifetime burden of a new substantiated case of non-fatal child maltreatment, so that includes all types of abuse, to be $210,012 per person. Immediate costs as well as loss of productivity and increased health care costs were, were used to estimate that number. Only about a third of child sexual abuse cases are identified and even fewer are reported. So one thing that's important to recognize is that many people having some kind of sexual abuse and don't even realize that their experience falls into that category. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, 
get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. This is common too with sexual assault, which I was talking about in my previous part one. So many people have had an adult expose their genitals to them in childhood and didn't know that that was considered a form of child sexual abuse, or they may have, they may have been molested by someone whom they trusted and they don't recognize that as an abusive situation. They think that they participated, but a five-year-old, 10-year-old, or even 15-year-old is not able to consent to having sexual activity with an adult, or even someone who's significantly older and not an adult. It's also really important to understand that sexual abuse is a traumatic experience. So if you have been sexually abused and it happened when you were eight and you're now 68 and you're still feeling like it affects you, that makes sense. Because it's a trauma and they don't just go away by themselves. I've talked with many people who were in their 50s and 60s and had never told anyone that they had been sexually abused. And they'd been suffering silently with this experience of feeling shame, feeling alone, depressed, anxious, issues with intimacy, physical and emotional intimacy, problems with relationships, and they don't realize that they experienced a trauma all those years ago, and it wasn't their fault. They could never tell anyone because they didn't have the words to use to describe what happened to them, and they didn't feel they would be believed. So this brings us to the important subject of how to protect children from being sexually abused. It's not to say that it's the parent's fault if a child is sexually abused by someone who's not one of the parents, but there are things that we can do as parents to help protect children from being sexually abused. So I'm going to read this list. This is also from RAIN, R-A-I-N-N.org, under How Can I Protect My Child from Sexual Assault? Show interest in their day-to-day lives. Get to know the people in their lives. Choose caregivers carefully. It's always smart to consider if someone has a really extraordinary interest in children. You know, it's a red flag if there's a middle-aged adult, say, a 60-year-old man who doesn't have children or grandchildren, but invites children over to his house to play with him. That's a red flag because... Why does he want to play with children? That's, that doesn't make sense. If he had kids there that were his grandchildren or children, 
um, that would be different. But why would the, why would a man that age want to play with like a seven year old? That's, that's odd. And that should raise alarm bells. So listen to your gut on things like that. And it's not always about background checks and looking at the sex offender registry. Those things are important, but not foolproof ways to know whether or not um, a caregiver is safe for taking care of your child. Because just because they don't have a criminal record, they're not on the sexual sex offender registry doesn't mean that they have never done anything like that. So again, that's where your gut comes in handy. You know, how do you feel when you see this person with your child? How's your child seem to feel? So you can use the many media incidents which are covered on the news to open a discussion with your children about sexual assault. Ask open-ended questions like, Have you ever heard of something like this happening or what would you do if you were in this situation? And know the warning signs of child sexual abuse and notice any changes with your child, no matter how small. I'll go into what the warning signs are now. It's not always easy to tell when a child has been sexually abused and the perpetrator could be someone you've known a long time, which would make it even harder to notice. But this is again where you trust your gut and you You can sense if something's wrong with your child. Don't ignore that feeling if you have it. Some physical signs you may notice could be difficulty walking or sitting, bloody, torn, or stained underclothes, bleeding, bruises, or swelling in the genital area, pain, itching, or burning in the genital area, frequent urinary or yeast infections. Behavioral signs include child shrinks away or seems threatened by physical contact, Exhibit signs of depression or post-traumatic stress disorder. That's kind of hard to know in a child, but um, I would describe some of the symptoms of child um, post-traumatic stress disorder as being similar to the symptoms that people think of with ADHD. Um, Trouble focusing, trouble sitting still, irritability, outbursts, anger, Um, impulsivity. Those are some of the common reactions in children who have experienced some kind of trauma. If you're not sure, it's always good to talk to a therapist about that. Children expressing suicidal thoughts, especially adolescents, self-harming behaviors like cutting, burning oneself, pulling hair out, development of phobias, changes in school performance like dropping grades or refusing to go to school, changes in hygiene like refusing to bathe or excessive bathing, regressive behavior, maybe they stopped sucking their thumb years before and they suddenly start again, running away from home, overly protective of siblings, nightmares or bedwetting. Sometimes people think bedwetting means, oh, this child is wet the bed, they must have been sexually abused. It's not that clear cut. But if you suspect something's wrong with your child, that, you know, something's affecting them, something's bothering them, and you notice bedwetting, you know, again, listen to your gut. And inappropriate sexual knowledge or behaviors. If you see, if you see a child 
demonstrating or talking about sexual things that are really abnormal for their age, say a four-year-old who is describing intercourse, that child shouldn't know that much about it. Um, Now, if you've talked to them about how sex happens, then of course that makes sense. But um, a young child who you haven't explained that to yet, and they're talking about it again, like that should raise your eyebrows, like what? And you just ask, where did you learn about that? In a very non-angry way, not blaming. Uh, Another thing about that, using words or phrases that are too adult for their age. And if you're going to talk to a child who you suspect may have been sexually abused, you should talk to them if you're concerned. But create a non-threatening environment where the child may be more likely to open up to you. Pick your time and place in a place that they'll be comfortable and don't ask them about it in front of anyone who you might suspect could have caused the harm. Be aware of your tone. Don't be too serious. Try to make it casual and non-threatening. Speak directly using a child's vocabulary, but don't put words in their mouths. Asking, has anyone hurt you, could be confusing because what is happening may not be painful and they wouldn't know what you meant. Allow the child to speak freely. Avoid judgment and blame. For example, instead of saying, you said something that made me worry, you could say, I'm concerned because I heard you say you are not allowed to sleep in your bed by yourself. Reassure the child, letting them know they're not in trouble, but you're just asking questions because you care. And be patient and understand this may be very frightening for the child for you to ask, especially if they are being abused and someone has threatened them that they'll hurt someone they care about if the child tells anyone. I've seen children who were told, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. And they would not speak about what happened, but they could write it down. So, you know, that's important to understand that they are very fearful. If they're threatened, they're very fearful and may not be able to put it in perspective how likely that person really is to do that whatever they threaten. Like if they say, I'll kill your whole family. If you tell the child's not necessarily going to be able to say logically, would that happen? Or would my parents keep me safe? If You know, keep us all safe. If I told that's the whole thing about it is that they fool kids and scare them and exploit their innocence and vulnerability. And that's how they're able to do what they do. So if you do think a child has been sexually abused, you can report it to the police or to um, Child Protective Services. You can find out what the laws are in your state by going to the RAIN website. They have a state law database. But let the child know that you're going to talk to someone who who can help. Don't ask for their permission because you're the adult, so you just do it. Ensure that the child is safe. Tell the child's parents that you're making a report unless you suspect the parent is the one who's harming them. There are a lot of feelings that parents have when they find out that their child may have been sexually abused. So it's important for you if that's your child who has been sexually abused. It's important for you to reach out and get support too. 
the Child Help National Abuse Hotline, 1-800-422-4453. That'll be in the show notes. Is a hotline that can help you um, understand the process of reporting to Child Protective Services and what to expect. And if you suspect that your child has been sexually abused, or if you are someone who has been sexually abused in childhood, there is help. And it doesn't matter how long ago it happened. As I mentioned in my my Sexual Assault Awareness Month Part 1 episode, there are sexual assault crisis centers in every state that can usually provide free services to survivors of sexual assault. And you can go on the RAIN website to find out where there is a sexual assault crisis center near you. Go to centers.rain.org. And remember, RAIN is R-A-I-N-N. And you can search by zip code to find the local sexual assault crisis center near you. You can also find a therapist um, if you don't want to go to the sexual assault crisis center or you've been there and maybe you've exhausted your free sessions. Um, You can find a therapist in your community who specializes in helping survivors of sexual abuse. It's important to work with a therapist who has experience in helping people who've been sexually abused. It's not just the same as... It's not just the same as any other type of um, mental health therapist. There's specific issues to survivors of childhood sexual abuse that it's very helpful to have someone who has that specific training. So I hope this information has been helpful to you. It's very upsetting to think that children are sexually abused, but it happens. It happens way too often, as I quoted earlier with all the statistics. And help is available. The sooner that a child gets help after being sexually abused, the less time they have to suffer the effects of that traumatic experience throughout their lives. But it's never too late to get help. And if that's happened to you, just remember that you're not alone help is available and check out those resources that are posted in the show notes for more information. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. That's it for today. As we wrap up Sexual Assault Awareness Month, thanks for listening to Therapy Chat. Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast. 
with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at www.lauraregan.lcswc.com.